Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi. Uh, I did a podcast a while ago, you know, it's a blizzard here in Baltimore, what passes here for a blizzard. Is everything stuck? So I don't have to go and teach or anything like that. Since I find myself with this unexpected time, I think I'll do the half tower this week and uh, get everything out as, as soon as possible. I want to thank the Stefanskis for stepping forward to sponsor uh, the podcast today and, and I don't know the half tower I didn't. No, this this is new. Uh, Tiana for uh, the his father, Elvis Shalom, the Sham Shavnalia, the Grateful, and uh, if I find somebody else to do a Hanukkah one, maybe I'll knock off the Hanukkah one by the end of today also and be finish my whole quota. Um, we'll see. Uh, today it's funny. Uh, it's a Haftorah. Is uh, this week an unusual one? I'll be honest with you. I what I usually do is um Try to finish that off as quick in the week as I can. That's just who I am. And I also do the Haftorah. Shnayim Mikrechel Targum. Even though there's no Indian like that. At least not that I know. But I picked up that habit years ago. So now that you do the Pasuk twice. And then with the with the Targum Yonis and Benazil. Shine. So, and as I said before, when possible, I try to get it done Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Something like that. Early as possible. And so I think yesterday, I think already it was, that um, I did... The Haftarah, which is supposed to be the second Haftarah of Hanukkah. I got in my head that Hanukkah this year is going to be two Shabbos. I don't know why. And uh, I said to my wife and all the rest of it, and uh, I figure it's going to be one of those situations where last week you do Rani Vesimchi, and this, excuse me, this week you do Vashlamach building the, the base of Mish, building the temple. But then it just occurred to me yesterday when we lit six candles, I said, wait a minute. Uh, I started adding up like a fool. And I said, gee, Shabbos is already after Hanukkah. And so I got the wrong Haftorah. And so I pulled out last night the uh, Haftorah to do. And uh, son of a gun, it's about Shlomo and the two women. You know, you, you chopped a baby in half, that story. And I said to myself, I don't know why. I don't remember this usually being there. I don't remember the last time I did that Haftorah. Uh, Shlomo Melch and the two uh, Zonas. And the reason has to be, and correctly so, that the vast majority of the time, Parshas case is Hanukkah. Um, this year is somewhat unusual. You understand what I'm saying? Usually, most of the time, it doesn't have to be two Shabbos in Hanukkah, but if it's going to be a Shabbos, I guess it, it, must, it is the fact that usually it's the Shabbos of the week of Mikates, right after Vayeshev. Sometimes it's both. It could be by Yeshua, you know. But that would mean by Yeshua be the first day, and then it would extend to the to, to me case. But this year, apparently, as we know, it's a tricky. It came out, I guess, Friday was the first day, and so it's going to end on Friday, so it's not going to get into me case. The reason I'm saying this is because a friend of mine, the real egghead, sent me uh, a riddle that was composed, I think, by his rub in Israel, 
in, uh, I forget the name of the village, the, the place they live, Natofa or something like that, and uh, 10 a couple days ago, and it, the riddle went like this, Barov Hashanim Inisteret, Giveret Emes Nederet, Kishezochar Bezichron Virachim Machseret, Zochahi Liot Shuv Muskeret. What does that mean? Sounds like something from Ibn Ezra or one of those type of places, you know. Rov Hashanim Inisteret. In most years, it's Nister. Who's Nister? Who's missing? Is hidden. Giveris Emes Nederes. The true Giveret is missing. Kishezochar Bezichron. When Zohar comes out on Zichron, and Yerachayim are machseret, then Zohar he, muskeres. When do, when do you see it? In the time when Zohar comes out on Zichron, and when Yerachayim, two months are machseret. So the long and the short of it is, it's a certain type of year, uh, Zacha, you know, Zayin Chesalv, which, right, you know what I mean, right? So those uh, calendar years things. Those sticks, and uh, so in other words, it starts on Shabbos, and uh, the first day of uh, uh, what do you call it? Pesach will be uh, on Sunday, and that's the Aleph, and so on and so forth. You know, Numar has those things. Now, uh, okay, I mean, how would I think of that? Turns out, the meaning of the riddle, Barov Hashanim Nister, is exactly what I was talking about. Namely, the Haftorah is usually Nister, the Hainu. Usually the Haftorah we read is the one of Hanukkah, either the first Haftorah of Hanukkah or the second, most years. The last time this happened was like in 2004, 2005. I'm sure there's some nerds out there that'll get their year exactly right. And the Gvaris Emes is not theirs. Who's the Gvaris Emes? The real mother in the in the Solomon story, you know, of the two Zonas. Who's the real mother? Of course, you won't think of a Zona usually associated with Gvaris Emes, but in the, in the context of the trial... That was the case. And so I said, look at that. So I said, I'm going to share it with you. Now, the story in our Haftorah, it's a strange Haftorah for the following reason. In my opinion, Iker Chosem and Asefer, the Hainu. If you look at the Haftorah, it starts after the main event. The uh, first Apostle in the Haftorah. It's not long, right? It's not long. This is Vaitava. Uh, where is it now? Uh... One second. Here it is. At the end of the Yeah, He woke up and it was a dream. Yeah. And he said, You get the jackpot. Uh, here it is. In Pusik Tesvov. In Perik Yud, in Lachamal, Pusik Tesvov. Faikat Shlomo Vinechalom. And so on and so forth. So Shlomo woke up and it was a dream. And he was so blown away by the dream, he made a big party out of it, which is the classic source in rabbinical literature for the concept, number one, of a siyum, and number two, of Simcha's Torah. Not to get into that. So, But don't tell you what the dream was. This is why, that's why I say, why is this part of the Haftorah of Parshas, Mikhaish, well, because Pharaoh had a dream and Shlomo had a dream. Yeah, that's what it is. Pharaoh had a dream, which foretold future significant events, and Shlomo did which foretold future significant events. Of course, in the case of Pharaoh, it was the economy of Egypt. In the case of Shlomo, it was about the glory of his reign and his wisdom. Fine. Which means, what I'm telling you is, 
If you're interested at all in the Haftarah this week, you will have no choice but to read before. Uh, don't start with chapter 3, verse 15, but rather with chapter 3 at the beginning of verse 1. Okay? Then you read the story of this strange person called Shlomo, very strange person, who uh, proceeds along two lines of action, one good and one bad, in the course of his reign. He does amazingly good things and bad ones too. Okay? Amazingly good and bad ones. The Shlomo, you will recall, becomes king at the age of 12, at least according to that's what it says. He's a young guy. Uh, it's supposed to be, now I'm telling you the way the Pesukim work out, that, um, let, let me put it this way, if you know Divra Yamim Aleph, you will know that David Melch had a magnificent obsession, which was to build a Mishkan, uh, build a base of Mishkan, excuse me. And he put time and money and effort. Now God told him you can't do it. Okay, so David said, okay, I can't again. But he was so passionate about it, and this is the last chapters of Dibri Amalf, David was so passionate about it that he did everything but build it. He assembled the, the, the workforce and the materials and the money, and even drew up the plans, as we know, and he wrote the music, which we call it Tehillim, and Hayom Yom Rishon, and so forth. He organized the Kohanim into the Mishmars. He loved doing this. Okay, This is what he liked doing. Uh, the, the Levy families, the choirs, the whole kinds of business. I mean, it's quite remarkable to read those chapters in Debra Yamal to show what level of detail David delighted in involving himself in in order to get involved in this business. Shlomo was a little kid, and by the time David's going to die, Shlomo's 12. And there's a passage there in Debra Yamal, go look it up yourself somewhere, towards the end of Debra Yamal, where David basically says, you're young, you're inexperienced, however, I've set the whole thing up for you. All you have to do is push a button. The whole operation is ready to go. Just give the word. The workforce is ready to go. See, I can't do it. Hashem told me I'm not allowed to do it. Otherwise, I do it. So I set everything up. Once I'm gone, David says, you'll be the king. You give the order. Say, activate. That's all you have to say. Activate. And those who are the architects will get to work. And those who are the artisans will get to work. And the quarriers, you know, for the stones and all that, actually, David assembled already. And so on and so forth. It'll happen. It'll happen quickly. In the event, it did not happen. Shlomo waited four years. This is very controversial in the Chazal. It's all Seder Olam on this, which says remarkable things. And what it means is that Shlomo, who was 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, that's young, baby. That's young. And now has, I won't say he had absolute power, but he had absolute power. In other words, we don't find, I don't think, or maybe I forget, I have to look closer. If Shlom was signed a Magna Carta. Uh, Saul signed a Magna Carta. If you look closely you'll, you'll, in Shmuel Aleph. David signed a Magna Carta, promising not to oppress the people. Uh, if you look closely in um, Shmuel Bays in the beginning. Uh, I don't think Shlomo did. I think he just walked into it. And therefore, there were no restraints on his being a tyrant. You understand? Other than his own will, which is never good. It's never good to be your own boss. You're the only one you you know that restrains you from being tyrannical is yourself. I mean that's that's not smart. Now, speaking of smart, we know the story of Shlomo. He's 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Uh, he consolidates power, PDQ, uh, and David told him to. You know, so he gets rid of Yoav, he gets rid of Shimi, he gets rid of Adoniyahu, and so on and so forth, to make sure there's not going to be any 
problems with the politics. It's a little ruthless, but let's say it's necessary. Let's go like Machiavelli, say it's necessary. Shine. So now, at the age of 12 or 13, whatever, let's start building a base of mace. He didn't do that. It's not clear why. He didn't do that. Uh, it does say in Chapter 3, as you'll see, they married Basparo. That's already bad, you see. Uh, of course, he thought it was good. Uh, he married Basparo for the purpose of engaging in these alliances. He wanted to engage in these alliances um, to... For political purposes, uh, you're not allowed to marry an Egyptian, it says on the Kumish. Uh The Gemara says he worked it out, it only applied to the men and not the women. Same thing with Moavi and Moavis and so forth. But there's no question, let's put it this way, that Pharaoh's daughter who married Shlomo, especially when the king is, what, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, she's moved by spiritual uh, purposes. <laughs> you understand? She's a shiksa. She uh, doesn't come to Jerusalem figuring, now I'm going to uh, discover uh, Kedusha Tahira, uh, even though her husband is about to build a base in Megiddo, which is the headquarters of Kedusha Tahira. And it's a whole question in the Seder Olam and the Chazal and the other place, you know, which did he start first? Did he go to, you know, did he marry the daughter first? And 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 in which case that would really be bad? Or did he start the base in Megiddo, as some seem to indicate, and only afterwards he married Shlomo? Again, that's bad, but at least he didn't put the marriage to the Egyptian princess prior to building the house of God. At least beginning to build the house of God. So now it's it's quite remarkable. Let me look over here. Look at Seder Olam chapter fifteen, if if you care to. You understand? If if you care to. And what's amazing is how the Chazal jiggled the pesukim over here because that's what they do. And it says um, these are the, these are all the verses preceding the Hatzor today. That's why I tell you, Eker Chasam the Seder, that you can read it yourself in chapter three, and basically. What it says is that um, in chapter 3, by Ischatain, no, it was after he got rid of Adonio and all the others, and he and in a political way he established the kingdom, nobody's going to mess with him. Then it goes on in the beginning of chapter 3, by Ischatain Shlomo's Paro Melchim Israim, he made a chasana with Paro Nolos Paro, became his Mechotin, he married the daughter, but he got his boss Paro. By Yevayelir David, Ad Kalosa Livnos is based of his base Hashem, this Chomis Yerushalayim Salve. Prior to building the temple, Rakaom Mizalchim Babamos, and the people still kept Babamos because Kilo Nivna Bais L'Shem Hashem Ayomim. There was no base in English. By Yehav Shlomos Hashem, but it's it's so in other words, marrying the daughter of Pharaoh comes across like a, like a weird thing, and then it goes on to say, By Yehav Shlomos Hashem Lalechus Bukukas David Aviv. Shlomo was a from guy, right? However, Rak Bamos whom is a baby uh But he did Bamos. No, so he didn't he, he didn't he, he didn't go around to build a base of Megish yet. Okay? As Rashi puts it, Bayev Shlomo Lalechis Bukukis David Aviv, Arba Shonim, Ashlahiskalivnos Habayas. So for the first four years he was from. Abomishalivnos, but once he started building the base of Migdosh, which you'd think would put him in a from mood. By Yitzchatin Shlomo's Paro, that's when he married the, the first Chikso. Nimsus Lomar Alpi Achamosi Hoyir Azosim and Yom Asher Bonos Sovad Yom And Rashi quotes, or to say, Rodom frankly quotes this verse in the book Jeremiah, where God says the city was built Al Alpi Achamosi against my will. Knows I'm not interested in big fancy base of Migdashes if it's combined with marrying Chiksos with marrying foreign princesses. Okay, 
And uh, and it says, Begnus of Sipra Kosov, Shashiyah's Binyan Abayas Arbashonim. This is a condemnation of Shlomo for delaying building the temple. So you might say that he was young, which is true, of course. And, you know, he's feeling his way. And this is before he got smart. And so he made mistakes. Then he went to Givon to try to talk to God. Because uh, that, that is where the Mizbech and the Mepharshim say. That's where the altar of the Mishkan was located. You see, it used to be a Mishkan. And then the Philistines destroyed it after the Battle of Ophi. What happened with the furniture? Well, the Aron had its adventures, if you read in the book of Shmuel Aleph. But what about the altar? There was a man uh, So that ended up in a place called Givon, right? Isn't that a funny place? That's where the Givonim were who deceived uh, Joshua, correct? But we'll leave that alone for a second. Eliphaz uh, Yalashlama, and for some reason he offered up a thousand bulls. So it's funny to me because it sounds like you go by quantity over here. I mean, what if you shechted a thousand bulls? Big deal. No, it's a, it's, it's humble, you know, it's bull after bull after bull after bull, really? Uh, so is God impressed by quantity? It's like, a, I know a guy, by the way, I know a guy, this sounds funny, he wanted to marry this girl, and she said no, and he sent her roses, and she said no, and I think he sent her like 100, 200 roses, literally, it was a shtick by him, and she fell for it, <laughs> you understand? Know He's just over, so overwhelmed. Well, that's a girl, it's not God, but anyway, he offered Elif Olos, and as a result, or it seems the way, the next Pasuk says, You know, God did appear to him at night. So this is remarkable, because Shlomo's, uh, you know, a young teenager. And um, let's put it this way. According to those texts that say, in order for a person to be a Navi, you got to work at it over years and years, and this, and that, and the other. The Shlomo, you know, work at it with the meditation and all the other Yehudim and all this other business. But, okay, here's what it says. And the famous story is, what do you want? Now, Shlomo here asked a very smart thing, which is often misunderstood. And that has to do with our Parsha. So in the dream, so isn't that quite a dream? In the dream, you see yourself talking to God. It's a, I can't conceive of how that dream works. But in the dream, you see yourself talking to God. Uh, you 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 took care of my father David, etc. 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 You put me on the throne. And you made me the king. But I realize I'm young, a narcotin. Lo A dot say savo. I don't know coming and going, meaning I don't understand things. And your servant, meaning me, myself, and I. I am among a vast nation. Uh Amrov, a shalim is already can't uncountable. So here's the famous story where Shlomo says, give me a wise heart. Not what you think, which is, give me a high IQ. He said, no, make me a successful judge. Right? This is very clever. He's saying, I'm going to be the king, I'm going to be a judge. Now really, the king's not supposed to be a judge. The king's not supposed to be a judge. Uh, if you go by uh, Duran, that's Russia Saran, in his famous discussion, Parsha Shoftim, about the separation of powers as he understands it, the king is supposed to run the executive part of the government, and the rabbis, let's use that term, the scholar is supposed to run 
the judicial and the judging. Uh, and the legislating too, by the way. Now, even if you don't go exactly like that, Ron, that's Russia's Iran, but the king is not supposed to be generally a judge. That's a function of scholarship. However, it is possible for a king to wear two hats, correct? Just like, yeah, for example, there's such a thing called a rebbe and there's a rov. A guy could be a Hasidic rebbe and not be a rabbi of a community. However, it's also totally possible the same person could be a Hasidic rebbe and also be a rov. It's possible. In fact, he could also have three hats. He could be a Rosh Hashiva. The famous Hasidic rabbis, there were, who were big Rosh Hashivas, that's one role. They're also rabbis with a tish. That's a different role. And they're also rabbonim of a community, a kehillah, of basin. That's a third role. It's possible. So you could have kings like David and others who ran the executive part and the wars and the administration of the country and national security, all that business. However, they also know how to learn. And wearing that hat, not the hat of a king, but wearing the hat of a scholar, person could be a dying. So Shlom apparently is playing like that. And he's going to be a dying, but he's young. And he says, when you're young, you haven't been around the corner. And how can you tell when the plaintiff or the defendant are uh, lying? And he doesn't want to give a bad judgment. They say he wants to give correct judgment. And Jews are good liars. And so you can have a plaintiff and a defendant, and you can't, or two towing him, you know what I mean? On a Chosh case. And how do you tell who's right? How do you tell who's right? And what it seems from over here is Shlomo's like this. Without Siyat Deshmai, you can't do it. And so he's asking for a Lev Shomei, as we would say today, a understanding heart, a wise heart. No, that's the wrong word. Discerning heart. That's a better way. I'd be able, give me the, the people skills to discern who's telling the truth or not. Or as we would say today, Give me the wisdom and an experienced judge. The guy who's been a judge for many, many years has seen them all. <laughs> you get it? Has seen them all. Once you've seen every type of liar out there, every type of phony out there, every type of truth teller out there, you picked up. The only thing is, a regular judge takes at least 20 years to learn all the human foibles. After 20 years or so, I would imagine, he's seen everything and knows everything. Uh, I remember reading... Who was it? Uh... Robert Jackson, famous uh, Supreme Court judge, who never went to law school. And um, he learned Shemush. And he said he learned everything on the job. And I can't remember exactly how it goes, but the story was that, uh, you know, he won the case and his uh, client said, I had a guy on the, I had a guy uh, on my team on the jury, which you're not supposed to have. And uh, he said, how did it, survived through. In other words, we asked everybody, they had to swear, whether you paid him or not. I didn't pay him yet, but I'll pay him next week. That was the deal. <laughs> you see? This is like, what is it called? The, the, the Kanye Darava. You know that story, right? Where he says, hold this stick, which had the money, so I swear I have no money on me. So you, you learn these things by, by experience. So Shlomo said, listen, I'm 16 years old, however old he was. Give it to me now. Give me a Leib Shamea. So I can do a good job of Choshemish, but Lahavin being Tov Lara, isn't that an interesting expression? He doesn't say to tell who's the right uh, the winner in the Choshemish case, but I want to be able to tell being Tov Lara. Because who can handle such a, a vast people? Okay? Who can handle that? So God said, that's a good request. To be a just judge, to be a discerning judge, that's the highest Madriga. Okay? Uh, Mishpat is what the country stands on. 
Injustice is what takes the country down. Uh, when the courts malfunction, you have the prophets of Israel of old, Treyosar, Yishariyam, Yicheskel, say no country is damned and will be destroyed. And according to many of the Nevi'im, that is why uh, Israel was destroyed, the north and the south. Not simply because of idols. If you read very, very closely in the Nevi'im, you'll see it's not what you usually think. It's because they worship idols, because of injustice, right? The rich screwed the poor, nobody could do anything about it, the judges were corrupt. You went to a court and you got a bad case. That's a terrible thing. Anybody's ever been in the basement case where they think that they were cheated? Not that the basement ruled against them, but you think that, you know, honestly, but they were cheated or something like that. It's, it leaves you a terrible taste. Okay? And so, uh, Shlomo said, help me against that. And, and, and God said, that's a very good request. And because of that, since you asked for you did, you asked to be a good judge, you didn't ask for wealth and power and all that, so you hit the jackpot like in a like in a, the old when I was a kid the old the TV shows you hit the jackpot and you're going to get bonus. A kid God says I'm giving you a lave, a chacham and uh, you'll be a good judge. Plus as a bonus, as an extra bonus, you get the Aisha and the covet. Okay? Uh, but, then comes the next Pasuk. And to my mind, it's extremely interesting. If you'll stay from me, you have a long life. Well, why, why does he say that? Because we, we know, in the case of Shlomo, he had the wise heart, and he had a huge IQ, but it took him down. Right? And then starts the Haftorah that you and I are going to read on Shabbos. Shlomo woke up and he saw it was a real dream, though it wasn't a fantasy. And then he went to Shlom and so on and so forth. And then the story that we read about in the Haftorah, where the two prostitutes came to him and they claimed who the baby was. You know, this one says her baby, her baby, and all the rest of it. So the fact that he said, chop the baby in half, and then the real mother said, don't do that. And the fake mother said, do that. And that's how he could tell. That's nothing but a manifestation of the fact that his request was granted, and that God gave him a lev shomea, a lev novam v'chacham, and that's why it's that Kaiser was astonished, because he's a young guy, 16 years old, and usually they don't pull off a thing like that. If Shlomo would have been 50, and like I say, he'd been a full-time judge for many years, uh, what would they say today? A family court, you know what I'm saying? A small crimes court, family courts, uh, Believe me, you find a judge in Baltimore anywhere else has been 20, 30 years on those kind of courts. They've seen all the lies and all of this and all that. It's like a professor where the kid said, my uncle died, my father died, I couldn't hand in the homework, I couldn't do the test. I, you know, I broke my leg. All the, you've been around the corner, you heard them all. You know what I'm saying? You heard them all. You can tell which one's real and which one's not real. The answer is 99% of them are not real. So Shlomo was able to discern this by divine gift at the age of 16. However... However, at the same time, this doesn't stop him from making missteps because he goes and marries Basparo. Uh, he does begin the building of the temple. All that's in the Parsha today. And um, there's, in other words, one foot is going down the right road, the other foot's going down the wrong road. And, to my mind, very, very significantly, when he marries, this is what the Seder Olam says, like I say in chapter 15, if you care to look it up a beer. Uh, but what it says is, 
uh, I'm quoting here. Vayev Shlomo Leches Bechukas David. The Shlomo was real from Arba Shanim on Leches living as a base, until he started building the base of Meish, until he hits the age of sixteen, which is when he had this dream. Awal Mishehiska living as a base. Once he started at the age of sixteen, he started the base of Migdash. Vayikach his Bas Paro. Then he married Bas Paro, and then but also a Perik Hadar Shama Mitzrayim Vayisotim, which is amazing. And what it means is the following, that at the end, this is a Chazal now. If you read the story of Shlomo, it's 10 or 11 chapters in Melachim and also 10 or 11 chapters in Divrei Yom and Beis. Uh, there's nothing there about Ashmadai or any of that kind of stuff that you see from the Gadotah and the Gemara and Gittin. Zero. Uh, Shlomo was a king, and he had his ups and downs, and then he died. That's what it says in the Tanakh. You understand? It doesn't have the Agatha stuff in there. Okay, fine. Now, at the end, after talking about his greatness, his power, his wealth, and his uh, base amygdala stuff, and his own palace stuff, as I recall, and his power and glory, then it starts talking about the negatives. Particularly, since he married all these shikses. Because it says, all have notion of and so on and so forth. And so that took him down. Uh, which seems to indicate, as I said before, wasn't only Bas Paro he married, he married Bas this and Bas Das and Bas the other thing and the third thing. Every prince is out there, which is a bad idea as we all know the Chumash says you're not supposed to do that. But I read you once, I hope you recall this, if you read the Chazal, the, Begir, the Medeshrav, the very beginning of Parshish, but Eber, the first one in Parshish, Eber, it says, Shlomo thought that I could handle this. You understand? Ani Asur Belibi, Ani Arbe Belibi Lo Yasser. I can handle all these women. And they won't leave me off the derech. Of course, if the Torah says you married a woman and leave you off the derech, it's going to happen. That's what happened to Shlomo. And he realized it too late. That's how the manage goes over there. The famous Chazal. Okay, fine. Now, um, after saying that, the uh, Book of Malachim goes on to say that Shlomo's kingdom started to fall apart little by little. And one of the first signs was Edom broke away. Now, uh, I spoke about Edom a couple weeks ago. And it's funny relationship with the Jewish people. Uh, but what it says is that uh, during the time of King David, as I mentioned, like I say, two weeks ago, I think, uh, without recapping the whole business, there was a bloody war between the Jews and the Adamites, and King David wiped out the Adamites. Literally. It says in chapter 6 in the book of Kings, the Eoav went down, the Adamite killed every Zohar. That's a pretty um, a genocidal type of uh, war. And the Chazal, believe it or not, the Chazal and the Yushalmi criticized him for that. He said, went, went too far. I'm not exactly sure what too far means in the Middle East. But whatever it is, David did it. Um, but there was a prince, like one of these movies, like a Snow White situation, where Prince Hadar escaped the massacre, and he ran away to Egypt. And um, the Egyptians helped him, and, it, and he was able to eventually return to his homeland and lead a war of uh, liberation from the Jews. Now, how he did this if he killed all the males, I don't get. Unless you say he killed most of them and some ran away, he was able to, uh, you know, gather the survivors and organize what they, from the Edomite point of view, would be a national liberation army and so forth. Could be. When did this happen? The answer is as soon as he married uh, Pharaoh's daughter. No, it was the same time he had the dream where he got Leib Shomea. He turned out to be a good judge. Uh, and as we see from the story, the two women in this week's Parsha, he also... The same way he made judicial success, he made political and religious unsuccess. 
because when he married Pharaoh's daughter, which naturally he thought would enhance the national security of Israel, you know, that's why Shlomo did it. Uh, and to a degree it worked. If you read in Lochem here and there, can't read the whole thing for you, you'll see that as a wedding present, Pharaoh came and uh, attacked and destroyed a Canaanite city, one of those cities that Jews should have captured at the time with Joshua, but didn't. So Pharaoh basically did a war for him, wiped out the city and gave it to Shlomo. So Shlomo could pat himself on the back and say, see, I married one princess, and as a result, I got a whole chalik of Eretz for free. It's a wedding present. I get that. But on the other hand, the same Pharaoh took in Hadar, the prince of the Edomites, and helped him launch a national liberation war against the Jews, which means that Shlomo's father-in-law stabbed him in the back. So this is how it goes in the Middle East. You know, that's what politics is always like, and don't be surprised. So that's a remarkable uh, uh, Seder Olam, because ordinarily one would think that this happened later in the reign of Shlomo, but the Ghazal here, are remember, Seder Olam is written before the Gemara. The Ghazal here are telling you, no, it actually happened at the same time. That's God's way of trying to say to Shlomo, hey, you may be smart as a judge and with the, with the two prostitutes, but you're not smart in politics because I told you don't marry too many women, and you're going ahead and doing it. You see? So we're left with this two sides of Shlomo, very strongly etched, you understand? Very strongly etched. And, moreover, Shlomo, it seems, got a gigantic IQ. So it knows God not only gave him wisdom to be a good judge, because like I told you before, as far as I can tell, to be a good judge means you have vast knowledge of human beings. Like I use the expression, you've been around the corner. Somebody with experience of life, somebody's a judge and sees day in and day out people coming in with cases, and more cases, and more cases. After a while, you've seen everything just about. You know, after a while, you've seen everything. It's like a big posek, you know, who's heard every shayla possible on Hilchus Hanukkah. So by the time, five or ten or fifteen Hanukkahs, he's heard them all, he's thought through them all, and he can answer anything at, at, at the drop of a hat. You see? So, Shlomo had that kind of lay shomea. On the other hand, it says later on, he had a huge IQ, it says his wisdom was greater than the wise people of the East, and etc., etc. But this IQ took him down. That's what the Medu says in Boero. It says that Osa Chachma Osa Bino, you understand, that the wisdom that he was granted as a result of this dream that we're celebrating in today's Torah, the wisdom, which was not the judge part, but the IQ part, which made him amazing in learning. If you look at the Medish I think in Shashimadis or Kohelis, I forget, but it talks about the fact that Shlomo revolutionized learning. If you're interested in what I'm saying, go take the look it up. It says he made Oznayim la Torah, things like that. Um, that the Torah was like without a, a basket, without a handles, and Shlomo made handles, which means he came up with styles of learning that could vastly increase the efficiency of people understanding. I'll, I'll use a funny example today, even though I don't mean it to be funny. Art scroll. You know what I'm saying? For a lot of people, let's be honest, for a lot of people, they won't understand the Gemara. What the article won't understand the Gemara. So I'm not saying Shlomo did article, but something like that. Something. So he had this huge IQ, and for the learning part, it was good, but when he applied it on himself, it was bad. Because when you apply it on yourself, it's Chachma Beholus, as he calls it, Besichlus. When you say, I'm so smart, I can understand why it is that God said this and God said that, and it does not apply to me. Okay? Does not apply to me. It's we call the problem of rationalization. I've spoken about it before. I hope you remember. 
And the problem with rationality, rationalism, rationalization, these are three different terms, is it can lead you not to do the mitzvahs. And uh, the idea behind the mitzvahs is it was given by, you know, uh, a beyond human source, and therefore a human being, no matter how smart, can't figure out the reason really for it. We can figure out perhaps a reason, but by definition, if it's from an infinite source and beyond infinite, even a reason isn't part of the reason. It's a, it's a tiny particle of the reason. That's the attitude of the Chazal. Therefore, this Chachma took him down. And indeed, in the book of Kuala, and incidentally, I just want you to know, it's remarkable here that in this uh, Seder Olam that goes on there, I would recommend whoever can take a look at chapter 15 of Seder Olam, especially in light of this week's Parsha. And it says over here, Le'esik na Shlomo, in other words, he did a lot of mistakes and sins. Mel Shlomo Ovis and Nashom Nechrias and so forth. Okay? Abul Ezigna Shlomo, when he got old, Samachlami Soso, Shards Alabruch HaKodesh, Viyomer Shloshet Svarim, Mishle Shereshim, and Kohelis. That's not the only way to learn Mishle Shereshim, but here have a classic Chazal, which means only later in life, when his body went, went bad, as he says in the Kohelis, and you know, yeah, yeah. Your, your appetites uh, decrease, and so on and so forth. Then he got uh, wise. And then he was able to get the Ruch HaKodesh to say these three books. Meaning, prior to that, he didn't. Isn't that interesting? And what does he say, looking back on life? Yosef Das, Yosef Machos. To me, that's the most interesting of all the expressions. He asked God for a wise heart as a judge. That means the ability to look at a plaintiff and defendant and can tell who's telling the truth and who's not. Now, I don't mean this in a Kabbalistic way. I'm sure the Hasidim, the Makabalim, the Yonis and Apeshits and so forth, Taka learned that way. The Shlom was given the power, which is extrajudicial, which is I look at somebody and tell what he's thinking. All right. I mean, you know, like I say, from a mystical interpretation, you could do that. You know, I think I told you, when uh, Yaakov Emden said about Yonis and Apeshits, and he hated Yonis and Apeshits, as you know, and considered him a terrible person. But he says that when he was in Hamburg when Yonis and Apeshits, Altona, when Yonas Amshitz came the first time as the Rav, and Friday night everybody walked by as you do to shake hands with the rabbi, especially the new rabbi, and wish him, uh, you know, good Shabbos, like you see in big shoals and yeshivas. And uh, everybody put their hat, the brim of their hat, down over their eyes. So basically, you shouldn't see my forehead because they see Yonas Amshitz, a big Makol, he can look at you like Darizal, he can look at you and know what you're thinking. You get it? I'll say it again. Yaakov Endon says this about Yonas Amshitz. He doesn't say it's true. He said, but that's what people held him up. Uh, so, like I said before, from a Kabbalistic perspective, when Shlomo has to be wise and know being told the raw, uh, he could look at somebody tell. But that's not what our Pasha says today. Shlomo didn't say to one of the prostitutes, hey, I can tell you're lying. He did a shtick, right? He said, chop the baby in half. Meaning, he was intelligent, like a wise judge would do. So let's go with the rational interpretation, which means he had great wisdom over here. Okay? Uh, that kind of wisdom is one thing. The wisdom to have gigantic egghead, you know, gigantic IQ, and all the rest of it, millions of mashalim, whatever it describes about Shlomo, his wisdom like the sand to the sea, and so forth, uh, that proved counterproductive. And I've always learned it like this. Yosef Das Yosef Malchov. There's a lot of knowledge that's painful. If I were a person, let's say, for example, like they reputed Yonah Zanibshitz to be, if I were a person that I could look at you and tell what you really think of me, I'd be a very depressed person, right? Unless you're a really popular individual. 
A lot of people you consider your friends, if you want to know what they're really thinking, <laughs> you'd be shocked. Correct? Maybe they're only kissing up to you because they need you. Maybe they're looking for some advantage. Maybe they consider you dressing stupid. Maybe there's a lot of things like that. Uh, the whole world uh, uh, exists on a certain amount of healthy ignorance. Correct? I meet you. You meet me. I'm polite to you. You're polite to me. Gamarnu. Right? If I know what you're really thinking, uh, it's not so helpful. And in the case of Shlomo, the guy could never have a real friend. From the age of 12, he was a king and he owned everything. So there's no such thing as a friend. Everybody's kissing up to you. They all want something from you. It's all a maneuver. Everybody's lying. It's like today if somebody's very wealthy. You don't have any real friends unless there's somebody's richer, richer than you. And in Shlomo's case, there was nobody. Let's say somebody's very rich today. Anybody in your class, your kids, whatever they want to look up, it's all looking for advantage. You understand? It's all fake. If you didn't have the money, where would you be? Many people discover this when they lose their money and all of a sudden their friends are gone. As a rabbi, I've known many cases like that. You know, the, what devastated the people after they lost their money was not the loss of the money, although, of course, that was devastating, but the loss of the friends. They used to be part of a social group and everybody ignores them. It's so painful. That's a Yosef Dasios and Machov. So I conclude by pointing out, therefore, that this week's parasha, in which Shlom asked for wisdom, wisdom is a wise subject and falls in many different categories. Some parts of wisdom are good. For example, the way Shlomo asked for it to be a good judge in court cases, to be able to discern, you know, who's right and who's wrong. That's the highest madriga because Melchba Mishpat Yamid Arts. You want a court to get it right so that people will say there's real justice going on over here. Right? That part's good. But the other kinds of wisdom are not so pushes. You understand? Know other kinds of wisdom can be painful, can be misleading. They can lead you down a, a, a path of self-destruction. As Shlomo said, his wisdom led him, eventually. And it's very, uh, it's a really a, a, a food for thought. Anyway, as I said, I wanted to throw it in to give an angle on uh, this week's uh, Haftar. But again, I ended by saying, if you're interested in what I was saying today, do take the trouble not to read from chapter uh, from verse 15 in chapter 3 in the first book of Kings, uh, which is what the Haftar is. I mean, do that. <laughs> But before, when you're in Shul, take the trouble to read from the beginning of chapter 3 and look at all the Mepharshim. And if you see a confusing picture, it means you're, you're starting at the beginning of, <laughs> of wisdom to understand the extremely complicated Parsha of Shlomo Mel. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com